Well, welcome everyone to the Robin Walter Show. God bless you today. Always a packed program. You know what? Before I launch, I just want to encourage everybody to, if you can, get the Sunday Morning with Robin Walter program for this weekend. It's a companion to this program. I lay out some biblical stuff you just really, really need to hear. Uh, I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to push the program. I'm trying to push the message of the program. I just think it's that important. So let's get rolling today. I promised we'd start with good news, and here we go. The uh, rally in Washington, D.C. in support of Israel absolutely is good news. You've heard about it. You've seen it on TV. I don't like to add the stories that everybody already knows about. I mean, relay, duplicate stories everybody knows about, unless I have something else to say or add. And in this case, I do. Um, okay, so there's 290, 300,000 people showed up in D.C. at a rally to support Israel. That is fabulous. I mean, uh, it's just fabulous. There really is no other word to describe it. And uh, the fact is there's Democrats and Republicans there, which we, let's get down to the politicians here for just a second, because that's sort of the end of the good news. Now we're back. We're just into the real life. Nobody wants to be seen really as not supporting Israel, at least half-heartedly. So that's why you got Chuck E. Cheese Schumer there and other Democrats there. And then Rhino Republicans are there because they want to be seen in this environment because they're courting Jewish support. Now, the only one that really got the rousing ovation, from what I can tell, was Mike Johnson, which, which he said, absolutely no ceasefire. Now, I didn't see the crowd and the political luminaries there as to whether they were clapping to that response or not. I, if there was a clip of it, I'd, I couldn't find it. But that's the kind of comment in an environment like this, when you've got a bunch of people there for the wrong reason because they just want to be seen as courting Jewish support. That's the kind of comment that, uh, as we used to say, separates the men from the boys. Because Mike Johnson supports Donald Trump. In fact, he said the other day, he said, I'm all in for Donald Trump. But a, a lingering question, which I can't seem to figure out here, I guess it's because this was a secular, primarily a secular Jewish-based event. You drew in people of all types, not ones who are necessarily supportive of Israel. Quite the contrary, because what the heck is Van Jones doing there speaking? I mean, in the Biden administration, he was, he was the number one Jew hater. Wait a second, I gotta correct myself. He's actually the number two Jew hater because Obama himself, B.O., is actually the number one Jew hater. What are those guys doing there? And we have this alleged great support for Israel, which I, I applaud, while we let thousands, and I mean thousands, of Muslims come across the border each month, and we are going to pay the price for that. 
I wasn't really planning to cover this, but it's time that you, you know about it. The Muslim population in the U.S. has doubled in the last 15 years. Doubled. Partly because they had a bunch of kids, and some of them have a gazillion wives. And so, I mean, what was Osama bin Laden? He was one of 53 children of his father. What are these, the good old days? <laughs> I say that facetiously. I'm just going back to very early parts in Scripture where people had a lot of kids, had to replenish the earth really, really fast, I guess. But anyway, it's doubled. It, and it's growing by 100,000 Muslims a year. This is what the politicians are keeping a cautious eye on. And I say this for all Democrats and, and the rhinos. They're keeping an eye on this because at the present rate, in less than 15 years, in less than 15 years, Muslims in the United States will outnumber the Jews. This is why, this is what's putting some the conflicted politicians, which is most of them, into a political pressure cooker as to how to handle the present, because how they handle the present will be remembered in the future when the Jews are then a minority. And at the rate of childbirth in the Muslim communities, I think it will be less than 15 years because they're having a ton of kids and the Jews don't have diddly for kids. I mean, I think they're a negative birth rate. Okay, so while we're on the topic of Israel and Judaism and this rally, this evidence that revealed here uh, by Israel, evidence of the Hamas weapons, I don't know if you saw it, the picture of all the weapons they found, guess what? In the hospital, where everybody is blaming them for what are you doing going into a hospital, blah, 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 you, you barbarians, blah, blah. Oh, shut up, Rashida. Taleb, 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 whatever your name is. Ilhan Omar, go suck an egg back in your old country. Get out of here. The squad. You know what? I, I, I'm having to refrain myself pretty early in the program here. So they find them. And where do they find all these weapons? Which, of course, the left will say, oh, they were planted there by the Israelis and they took a picture. No, 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 no. They are not American or Jewish weapons. You can tell by the make. the cap They come from Iran and Russia. Israel doesn't get its weapons from Russia to be able to plant at a hospital in Gaza. But it doesn't stop there. Where were they stored? They were stored in the room that they give MRIs. Isn't that amazing? I mean, these are, these guys, in the Palestinians, in my opinion, are gutless punks. Hide behind women, hide in, in hospitals, hide where the Israelis, who have far, far higher moral ground in every respect, have a respect for innocent life and do the best they can to avoid taking innocent lives. But if these gutless punks, also known as the Palestinians, and where are all the men? If the Palestinians are, are so voluminous, what, there's m multiple millions, and Hamas is supposed to be very small and in control, then where are all the men? Men. Where are they that are not standing up to overthrow Hamas if they're complaining about Hamas? Come on.
got to rely on Israel to overthrow Hamas. I mean, the pictures of all the Palestinian civilians looting the stuff that, well, MRI, I can't, you know, I'm just, they hide it in the room where they, the rooms where they're doing the MRIs. I mean, you know what? I think I've changed my definition for MRI. I think it must mean, must stand for maximizing, maximized resistance intifada. Right? But I have a question for Rashida, and I'd like to alter her name to tell her what I really think of her. And Ilhan, all of the pro-thug Palestinian members of Congress, all the Jew haters, which I've said before, are Democrats. All the open Jew haters are Democrats. I have a question. They have said over and over and repeated, and you've got high school students now, a lot of college students saying, hey, it's Israel, it's Gaza's occupied territory, they want to free Gaza, blah, 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 blah. That is such a pile of crap. Because here's the question, and I don't even know why, why is no one asking these Jew haters this fundamental question? Here it is. Rashida, are you listening? Are you listening? If Gaza is occupied territory, let's just stop there. I know you don't have much of a mind to work with, so I'm going to slow it down for you, girl. If Gaza is occupied territory, then why would Israel have to invade it? Huh? If it's occupied territory, you don't invade something you already occupy. Why is this not evident? Is this, this is what tells me even the mass media here in this country is ridiculously stupid or ridiculously anti-Jewish. You know what? That's an either, either or. And actually, I guess both could be true. Stupid and Jew haters. So Rashida and Ilhan, you still got your ears on? Come on, girls. How about this one? If Gaza is occupied territory, then why is there a fence and a border around it? Hmm? You, uh, Rashida, come on, come on, girl, wake up. Come on, back to earth. Ilhan, your other two cohorts in the squad, and all your other leftist lemmings in Congress and in the universities teaching. What? Now, you're not, it's not education. It's indoctrination of the students. Number Question number three. Let's just throw this one out. If Gaza is occupied territory, and it can't be occupied territory unless the Jews are in Gaza, otherwise it's not occupied territory, right? Right? There have been no tanks there. There are no soldiers there. How can it be occupied if you aren't there? Well, so-and-so is the occupant of this house. How long have they lived there? Oh, they haven't ever lived there, but they're the occupants of the house. This is how stupid and ridiculous these these women are in Congress, because they happen to be all women. Sorry, that's just the way it is. Let me throw out a fourth one. If Gaza is occupied territory, 
then why would Israel be bombing all parts of Gaza if bombing all parts of Gaza now then meant that they were bombing their own soldiers and people in Gaza? Because they have to be there if it's occupied, right? Oh, my gosh. It, it just, it, this just blows me away. I mean, Taleb, Taleb, whatever, she's a racist moron, frankly. And when I look at these Palestinians, Hamas, and, and, and the other Palestinians, you know, I go back to the passage in Scripture where it talks about Ishmael, which the Muslims consider to be a prophet, the head of the Ishmaelites. He's a very revered character, kind of pattern themselves after him. And what does it say in Scripture about Ishmael? Well, it's in Genesis, I think, I think chapter 16. I'm not quite sure. I don't have it here. But it says that he's a wild man. He will be pitted against all of his brothers, and every, he will be against everybody, and everybody will be against him. He is a wild man. Is that not what we see when we got 12-year-old kids chanting death to Israel that are Muslims and being taught in these different... And if, these, if the governments, if the secular governments are so powerful, if they're any kind of government at all, why do they let this go on? If they didn't either fear them or support them. So don't tell me that Lebanon just has an uncontrollable minority and Gaza is being controlled by a small group of Hamas. Look, come on. If you got any cojones, you Palestinians, then overthrow the knucklehead, racist, moronic whatevers that are allegedly running your country. Man. Oh. And you know, you, you look back what I'm going to, I'm sorry if this sounds like I'm anti-Palestinian. I am. I don't want them over here. I don't want a single one of them over here. Now send missionaries over there. If Gaza would let missionaries come in. Hey, if you want to send your people over here, then let us come into there. Deal? No, of course the Chinese get to come into the U.S., but we don't get to go over there willy-nilly and go preach and do whatever we want and steal their... <sighs> Steal their everything, their technology and their ideas, you know you name it. So why would we allow this if we weren't fundamentally now, at least from an administrative standpoint, an evil country? Maybe they're right. Maybe we are the great Satan. The stuff we export is worse than I mean we're the ones that are exporting homosexuality and sodomy and tranny this and tranny that and abortion. The Muslim countries don't actually do that. With respect to those social issues, the Muslim countries are far more ethical and moral than we are. Yeah. That's why you got to listen to the Sunday morning program. Get to the biblical side of this. But the minute that Israel turned Gaza over to the Gazanians, what happened? They went around destroying everything that was Israel. Israel had beautiful greenhouses in Gaza that they had created and other things. They went around, Hamas went around smashing them. While all the mega-millionaire Gazanians, the Hamas Gazanians, are living in Qatar, or Qatar, however the heck you want to pronounce it, the life of luxury. 
They took a second world country and turned it into a third world country. And we are supposed to import that mentality into the U.S.? Nothing to offer and everything that they want to take. Let's just invite the ultimate destruction of this country, and that's what it does. You know, uh, before I move off from this thing and get into a couple of political matters, because I don't even consider this political. I mean, it is political. Everything political has a religious-based connotation or effect, and everything religious has a political connotation or effect. But why? Because you cannot separate the two. You are what you eat, right? I mean, out of the, out of a man's heart proceed the issues of life. The heart's not there to separate things. Okay. All the Jew-hating bus drivers that stranded 900 Jews at, on the D.C. tarmac for the rally last week, guess what they are? Most Muslims per capita, per capita in the United States is actually in Washington, D.C., so nothing like trying to get a bunch of Muslim whack job drivers to shuttle Jews to the things. That's why he had 900 Jews that got stranded. And while I, I, I should have pointed this out before, you know, while there are members of both parties, they are kind of do their, their politicizing. The Biden administration totally skipped this deal. Was Joe Biden there? Of course not. He's in his basement planning his next campaign while he's playing with a set of trains. Is uh, Cammy, Cammy Harris, Kamala, Bubblehead, it, was she there? No. Antonin Blinken, was he there? No. How about Mayor Pete Buttgag? Did he even show up? All those people must be a transportation issue. Was Pete Buttgag there? No, no, no. And all of this going on where at the same time every single Democrat in the U.S. Senate voted to stop the aid to Israel if it didn't go along with aid to the Ukraine. They will not support a standalone program for Israel. But they'll have their sorry butts show up at the in Washington, D.C. to be seen by the media and mostly by Jewish observers who now get to think that somehow Schumer is still really on their side. Okay, moving on now to uh, a couple of Republicans. I want to just say, and I've mentioned this before, I think Greg Kelly on Newsmax is without question. And I've felt this way for about the seven or eight months I've been watching him. The best newscaster anywhere. He is actually, in my opinion, this is not a put down to Tucker Carlson, don't get me wrong, but he's better than Tucker. He's more. I think he's more thoughtful, and he and he has a more spiritual insight to things. I love the guy. And who did he come out for the other day? After the third debate, Vivek Ramaswamy. He's not saying he's picking him over Trump, but man, did he sing the praises of this guy, who had the guts to attack the rhinos on a public stage, to attack NBC on a public stage that was hosting the event to attack everybody that needs to be attacked while the other people on the stage lack the cojones to do anything about it. Now, on to the queen of obfuscation and compromise, Nikki Haley. <clears throat> this piece gets to the essence of the problem.
I am going to read a headline from Politico. It says, for a Republican Party struggling with abortion messaging, Haley now appears to have the answer. Read it again. For Republican Party struggling with abortion messaging, Haley now appears to have the answer. Well, what is her answer? Well, they think it's the answer because we got clobbered last week in Ohio and in Virginia, and there are people with everything go with massive fentanyl deaths, massive importation or just allowance of people to just cross the border, including a bunch of terrorists, which the FBI has now admitted there are Arab terrorists all over the United States. You got that? Arab terrorists all over the United States. So with that going on, with inflation, with, I mean, every single issue that should defeat a politician, and Joe Biden has all of them, personally manicured by his handlers, there's still people saying abortion, 47% of the Democrats say abortion is the most important issue. We don't care if we're going to get overrun by a bunch of Arabs and Muslims and other and Chinese crossing the border. We don't care if there's going to be drone bombs blo- uh, sh- uh, being detonated over football stadiums, which I see now, since I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, I see that Christopher Ray has come out and stated that he's concerned about drones going off at events. I don't think he's listening to this, but who knows? Hasn't been a knock at my door yet. But I do appreciate your prayers. I'm just going to interject this. We don't get a lot of correspondence here. It's probably just as well because I couldn't handle it. I don't have a staff. The staff is moi. I'm it. Except for the except for a party who handles our technical stuff. And that's that's a whole different situation. But I am so concerned about where we are going, actually sort of really where we are, that I don't even know who in this country you really seem to be able to trust anymore at any level other than a few individuals in political places where they consider their position and reward from God to be greater than any reward and likability that man can bestow. So what is Haley's answer that, uh, like I said, the queen of obfuscation and compromise, her, her plan is we need to speak, we need to be sensitive. This is her abortion plan. We need to be sensitive about finding national consensus. Haley, brainless, and I'm going to fault Trump for this, Trump picked out Nikki Haley for ambassador to the U.N., and then he turns around and calls her a bird brain. Trump picked out Christopher Wray and then tries to blame Chris Christie for talking him into it. You see, the more people that turn on Trump, the more that you have to question Trump's ability to select good people, right? That's not against it, but this is just a fact. I'm going I'm to call a spade a spade no matter who it is we're talking about here. But back to Nikki, baby. I'm sorry, but she said, I'm not going to judge anyone for being pro-choice. We need to have the national debate needs to be sensitive, and we need to find national consensus. Haley, 
We haven't found national consensus on this since 1973. That's just a pile of crap because you claim you're the most pro-life person in the world, and yet you want to talk about a consensus? Why don't we just pull a Solomon and cut the baby in half? There is no consensus on this. You're either This is either the innocent, this is either the execution of innocent unborn children in the womb, or it isn't. Pick a side, woman. And this is and, and and we are being told that this is how the Republican Party needs to handle the abortion messaging because follow Haley's example, we need to be sensitive and we need to have a national consensus. What's sensitive? Well, I guess you just go do what's on your right. You want to kill the child? Go kill the child. We want to be sensitive to your needs, your income situation, the parental opportunities, the housing. The, oh, shut up, Haley. Now, will I support her over any Democrat? Yes. I will hold my nose and pull the lever, and I will tell people to vote for her. But right now, I think she sucks. Now, the deeper issue with her, and I have this with all politicians that say this. She says, I'm personally opposed to abortion. I have heard this so many stinking dead. Well, I'm personally opposed to it. I'm personally opposed to it. But, but, well, follow the but. What precedes the but is irrelevant. What comes after the but is what the person is trying to say. It's what they really mean. Well, I'm not saying follow Nikki Haley's but. Don't get me wrong. But what she says after the but is what she really means. I believe this, but we need to have a national consensus. We need to be sensitive. Blah, blah, blah. If you personally believe that killing innocent, unborn human life is wrong, then why don't you take that stand? <clears throat> you're either immoral or you're a hypocrite. Now, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt and just call her a hypocrite because she and gutless and compromising. She wants to win more than she wants to be right. She wants to be victorious more than she wants to be uh, beholding and exalting the Word of God publicly. That's what she's about. She's about herself. She's about winning. What is that national consensus? You weren't going to get there. We haven't gotten there in the 50 years. It's right or it's wrong. And this compromise, all it does is mean that you are bringing in a plan to deal with abortion. And how are you going to deal with it? By not dealing with it. Because you're too busy continuing to look one administration, two administrations for national consensus, still being sensitive. Sensitive to what? Do you know what this is like? All right, Nikki, you ready for this? I hope you're listening. This is like you're saying... You know, personally, I am against Hitler's killing of the Jews, personally. But I, but I realize it's a, it's a sensitive issue, and uh, on the propriety of killing Jews, we need to find a national consensus. You're immoral or you're a hypocrite, and it might be both. Sheesh. Next political item. 18 states, 18 states have joined uh, in the lawsuit to help 
or to force the lifting of the gag order against Donald Trump. Lift that gag order. What I love about their action, first of all, they're taking action. 18 attorneys general. I'm going to give you the states. I'm going to give you a little bit of an insight here in a minute, too. They have a novel argument. I love this argument, and it's very true. I don't know why nobody thought of it before. I guess maybe because we've never been in this situation. We've never had a court trying to put a gag order over what is said by the leading candidate in a, in a political campaign for the presidency of the United States. The argument is this. By putting a gag order on Donald Trump, or any candidate for that matter, but it only involves Trump, you are denying political speech, not just to Trump. You're denying political speech to be heard by the citizens of these 18 states. What they're saying is we have a right, we have a First Amendment, First Amendment right under the free speech to hear the speech of a national candidate. It isn't just the free speech of Donald Trump. It's the right to hear the speech, which if there isn't, if he doesn't have the right to say it, then those are de others are denied the ability to hear it. Whoa, this is a fabulous argument. And when we return, I'm going to give you the 18 states and you write them down. You might want to know someday. We'll be right back. The Robin Walter Show is a listener-supported program. Your contribution goes to help as many people as possible to hear that the Word of God has answers to help you survive and even thrive in the dark days ahead in this country. We pledge to bring you the critical information you need to make informed decisions in this age where big tech and big media have conspired to rid our country of everything Christian. Please send your support to... Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. That's Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. Thank you. Well, I think my dog's a Democrat. And it breaks my heart to have to say an ugly thing like that. But there's a big old pile of evidence that all points towards the fact my dog might be a Democrat. Uh, God bless you all. I just thought, well, you know what? It is time to play that one again. It's been a while. Going back to these 18 states that have come up with this very novel argument to try to help lift the gag order imposed on Trump is that, be not, that by denying him free political speech, they have denied, the court is denying the people the right to hear speech. It's not free speech if somebody doesn't have the right to say it because then the other people don't have the ability to hear it. So they are being denied. It's a, it's a novel argument that I absolutely love. Of course, it's, below, it's in front of a kangaroo court. That's why I played that song. They're all Democrats in all of these cases against Trump. 
Okay, the 18 states. Here they are. Here are the 18 good states that that are seeking the lifting of the gag order, and they are as follows. Iowa, West Virginia, Alabama, Alaska, Idaho, Indiana, Kentucky, Kansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Nebraska, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Dakota, South Carolina, Texas, and Utah. Now, I'm surprised that Tennessee is not in here. Tennessee is not listed. But these are 18 states. If Tennessee probably is there, it would be 19. It's interesting, I find, that for about the last, oh, five to seven years, when I have talked about the issue of states seceding and leaving the Union, I have routinely said there are about 17 or 18 states that would be lined up to get out. And those are, and, and amazingly, we have 18 states that the attorneys general are, are pursuing this action. Well, you know, we let in anybody in this country now. In fact, if you can't get in the legal way, just go to Mexico and cross the, cross the Rio Grande and voila, you're there. We got a gazillion people in homeless camps, but the illegals get put up at five-star hotels at taxpayer expense. Yeah, isn't that uh, isn't that something? So we should there. There's one we should be keeping out. One of them is a tranny pop star by the name of Kim Petrus. That's the name he goes by. It's a guy who claims he's a chick. Same old deal. But what this person is on tour in the UK, UK lets in anybody, we know that, and uh, I think Australia, but it's going to include a tour through the United States. And what does he, faking to be a she, her, the goal, his goal, he wants fan, the queer fans, which is pretty much all of them because trannies are queers, um, and why do, you, why do you, I don't know why I'm the only one that ever says this. Trannies are queers who feel guilty about their homosexuality, so the way they deal with their guilt, instead of seeking salvation or therapy or treatment or counseling, they pretend to be the opposite sex to, that, to then thereby legitimize their lust for their own sex. That's it. Doesn't get any more complicated than that. But, it, but she wants, he wants, all the queer fans that come to his concerts to have sex during the concerts because there are children who will be allowed to attend the concerts. In other words, he wants the kids to see queer sex live, up close, in person. This confirms a couple of things. First of all, I've already said one, that trannies are really queers. But number two, that as emissaries from hell itself, the number one prey has always been kids. Kids. Why? Why the kids? Well, I've mentioned this before because they're the closest thing to angels on earth. You get young enough, you got no imputable sin, right? They're not to an age of accountability. 
There's nothing there will send to impute. So if you want, if you are from hell, you got two choices of two top choices to try to defile angels, which is what the queers in scripture were always trying to get to the angels and defy the angels. They didn't want Lot's, you know, daughters. They wanted the two angels or kids, young kids. And why? Because you aren't born that way. If you're queer, you have to recruit. You have to groom victims into that lifestyle. And it's like a pastor who was, I think, recently retired, probably his mid to late 60s. I asked him one time, I said, you ever counseled homosexuals? And guys, he said, oh, gosh, yes. They've been pastoring for 40-some years. Oh, yeah, a lot of them. Well, I said, how many of them were uh, abused as children by, from what you could tell by other men? His answer, 100%. And so there we go. Uh, I'm going to skip this story, and I'm going to jump right to the Pope. All right, all you Catholics listening up, check this one out. All right, so we got this... Um, Bishop Joseph Strickland in Tyler, Texas, who the Vatican fired and um, fired essentially by uh, Pope Francis. So Pope Francis, uh, I got no use for this guy. He's from hell. There's a uh, guy. Guy doesn't know the scriptures. He does. He stands for. Oh, I don't know. I don't need to get into him. He's a loser. And if you challenge him, then you get fired. And that's what Strickland did, because Strickland stands up for the fact that he he's strongly pro-life. And I don't see Pope Francis necessarily compromising yet on that. But when it comes to everything queer, everything tranny, everything sexually and morally debauched, um, the Pope himself um, is on the wrong side of the Bible. He's on the side that gets condemned. He's on the Sodom and Gomorrah side. Uh, and this guy got fired. And why? Because he said that um, the Pope said, oh, Pope Francis said, we need to have guidance that for trans-identified trans people. Now, he's not even saying these are transgender. They're trans-identifying people. Um, but the Strickland said they should not have the ability to become godparents or to be baptized. That's it. Well, the Pope... Pope Francis says, yeah. He said, yes, we will baptize. They're going to have communion. They can be godparents, these trannies and all of this stuff. In other words, you can imitate the devil and go to heaven, and we will do this. This is how screwed up Pope Francis is. He said, but here's a qualification. I want to quote the guy. Quote, they, they, shouldn't, they shouldn't be able to do these things if... There is a danger of scandal, undue legitimization, or confusion in the educational sphere of the ecclesial, ecclesial community, end quote. So let me ask this question. How could you be baptizing queers, communion with trannies, <clears throat> baptizing trannies, and have them be godparents, without scandal, without legitimizing that behavior, and without confusing the educational sphere of the ecclesiastical community. That's exactly what it would do. 
And Pope Francis is saying, well, you can't do that if this is going to happen. With partic- He wants it on a case-by-case basis. So you're supposed to look at some training and say, you know what? I think this guy this guy turned she-male, he-male, whatever. I can't even get the terms right, and I don't want to try that hard to get them right. If there's any possibility that this guy turned chick uh, could cause a scandal, I could be attracted to the godchildren uh, that that this could legit. How could it not legitimize that behavior? How could it not produce scandal? How could it not cause confusion? And guess who's the author of confusion? Pope Francis says, "Time you learn something from the Bible. The devil is the author from of confusion, and you are doing a pretty doggone good imitation of him." Sheesh. Now, for the part of the program that tells you how I really feel. I want to get to something here. I hope I have a chance to read this because this deals with just how deeply in trouble we are as a country. And GOP rep Clay Higgins of Louisiana had tried to get FBI Director Christopher Wray uh, to answer questions about two vehicles on January 6th that were described as, quote, ghost buses. Not Ghostbusters. It's not a Bill Murray program or movie. Ghost buses that arrived in D.C. in the very early hours of January 6, 2021, before everybody else. I want to read from this piece so I get it right. Uh, Higgins, the representative GOP guy from Louisiana, claimed the buses were, quote, filled with FBI informants dressed as Trump supporters, deployed into our capital on January 6th, end quote. That is his claim. But now he's got Ray in front of him. So Higgins started by recounting a, a similar exchange with Ray in the previous year. And Higgins said, quote, I asked you, did you have confidential human sources dressed as Trump supporters positioned inside the Capitol on January 6th, prior to the doors being opened. And you responded, Mr. Ray, quote, I have to be very careful of what I say, end quote. I'm just going to state there. Why does Ray have to be careful? Why? Because he might, it, he might inadvertently blurt out the truth. In other words, the answer is yes. You shouldn't have to be careful. And if they were there, if, if it was a yes, he should be yes. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Higgins says, well, a year has passed. We, the people, still do not have a definitive answer from you or anyone else in the Biden administration for that fact. Regarding the FBI presence and participation in the months leading up to the November election and in the weeks and days prior to January 6th and on January 6th here in D.C., we can't get a straight answer from you. Now, do you confirm that the FBI had confidential human resources at the rally on January 6th in D.C.? Ray refused to provide any confirmation. He said, Congressman, as we've discussed before, I'm not going to get into where we have or have not used confidential human resources. In other words, yes. He does. The question was... 
tell me where you've used confidential resources all over the United States in every investigation, foreign and domestic, covering all types of crimes and federal felonies. That's not the question. The question was simply, do you confirm that the FBI had confidential human resources at the rally on January 6th here in D.C.? And Ray says, well, I'm not going to get into all the places where we use it. That wasn't a question. Just answer yes or no, Jack. Obfuscation, lying, Ray is a beast from the pit. Higgins then went on and quoted an FBI informant who said under oath that he had, quote, marched to the, this is an FBI informant, under oath, saying, I marched to the U.S. Capitol with the Proud Boy members on January 6th. And he said, quote, he was communicating with his FBI handler while people were entering the U.S. Capitol. So Higgins said, can you confirm that the FBI had that sort of engagement with your own agents embedded within the crowd on January 6th? And then Ray said, quote, if you're asking whether the violence at the Capitol on January 6th was part of some operation orchestrated by the FBI sources and her agents, he answers emphatically not. Ray, you shifty piece of crap. That's not the question. That, that was not the question. What did you participate in the violence? The question was simple. Did you have, can you confirm that the FBI had a sort of engagement with your agents embedded in the crowd? The engagement was communication, communication. And Ray said, we didn't participate in the violence. Well, that wasn't the question. So Higgins goes on to say, you know what a ghost vehicle is, director? You're the director of the FBI. You certainly should. You know what a ghost bus is? Ray said, a ghost bus? I'm not sure I've used that term before. That isn't the question. Here's Ray I mean, he's slippery like a sidewinder snake. And that's with all due respect to sidewinder snakes, frankly. He didn't answer the question. The question wasn't, have you used the term before? Was, do you know what it is? And of course he does. He just lies and obfuscates and misdirects through every... Oh, God gives me, makes me hurl. Well, it's pretty common in law enforcement, Higgins told him. It's a vehicle that's used for secret purposes. It's painted over. These two buses, and then he lifts up a photograph in the middle here. They were the first to arrive at Union Station on January 6th at 5 a.m., the very first ones. I have all this evidence, says Higgins. I'm showing you the tip of the iceberg. These two buses were painted completely white, at which time Higgins was cut off wasn't allowed to speak anymore. So I have a conclusion to all this. The conclusion is this. Christopher Ray needs to be arrested. And for what? For participating directly or indirectly in the insurrection. Christopher Ray, as the head of the FBI, needs to be charged with insurrection. He was more involved in the insurrection than Donald Trump. Probably will get a knock on my door now. We are in trouble, folks. I hope I got time to read this. This came in from an it came from a party I know, but the author is unknown. I'm going to try to fit this in because this is just, uh, oh my gosh, it just it, it's so truthful. 
I could say it, but I couldn't say it as well as it's said by the party who wrote this. He said, quote, Men like nations think they're eternal. What man in his 20s or 30s doesn't believe, at least subconsciously, that he'll live forever? In the springtime of youth, an endless summer beckons. As you pass 70, it's harder to hide from reality as you lose friends and relatives. Nations also have seasons. And this is my point here. Nations also have seasons. Imagine a Roman of the second century contemplating an empire that stretched from Britain to the Near East, thinking, this will last forever. Well, forever was about five years, 500 years, give or take. That's not bad, but it's gone. France was pivotal in the 17th and 18th centuries, but now the land of Charles Martel is on its way to becoming part of the Muslim Empire. In the 19th and 20th centuries, the sun never set on the British Empire. But now Albion exists in perpetual twilight. Its 96-year-old sovereign is a fitting symbol for a nation in terminal decline. This was written just a little while ago, as you can tell by that. In the 1980s, Japan seemed poised to buy the world. Business schools taught Japanese management techniques, and today its birth rate is so low and its population aging so rapidly that an industry has sprung up to remove the remains of elderly Japanese who die alone. The writer here says, I was born in 1949, almost at the midpoint of the 20th century, the American century. America's prestige and influence were never greater. Thanks to the greatest generation, we won a world war, fought thousands, fought throughout Europe, Asia, the Pacific, and reduced Germany to rubble. We stopped the spread of communism in Europe and Asia and fought the international terrorism. We rebuilt our enemies and lavished foreign aid on much of the world. We built skyscrapers and rockets to the moon. We conquered polio. And now COVID. We explored the mysteries of the universe and the wonders of DNA, the blueprint of life. But where is the glory that once was Rome? America has moved from a relatively free economy to socialism. This has not worked well anywhere in the world. It has worked well nowhere in the world. We have gone from a Republican form of government guided by a constitution to a regime of revolving elites. We have less freedom with each passing year. Like a signpost to the coming reign of terror, the cancel culture is everywhere. We've traded the American Revolution for the Cultural Revolution. The pathetic creature in the White House is an empty vessel filled by handlers. At the G7 summit, Dr. Jill had to lead him away like a child. In 1961, when we were young and vigorous, our leader was too. But now a feeble nation is technically led by the oldest man to ever serve in the presidency. For we can't defend our borders. I will take issue with that. We won't defend our borders. But he says we can't defend our borders. Our history, including monuments to past generations, or our streets, our cities have become anarchistic playgrounds. We're a nation of dependents, mendicants, and misplaced charity. Homeless veteran camps in the streets while illegal aliens are put up in hotels. The President of the United States can't even quote the beginning of the Declaration of Independence. says, you know, the thing. He can't say it correctly. Ivy League graduates routinely fail history tests that fifth graders could pass a generation ago. Crime rates soar, and we blame the Second Amendment and slash police budgets. Our culture is certifiably insane. Men who think they're women, people who fight racism by seeking to convince members of one race that they're inherently evil and others that they are perpetual victims. 
A psychiatrist lecturing at Yale said she fantasizes about unloading a revolver into the head of every white person. We slaughter the unborn in the name of freedom while our birth rate dips lower. Our national debt is so high we can no longer even pretend that we will repay it someday. A $30 trillion monument to our improvidence and refusal to confront reality. Our entertainment is sadistic, nihilistic, and as enduring as a candy bar wrapper thrown in the trash. Our music is noise that spans a spectrum from annoying to repulsive. Patriotism is called insurrection. Treason is celebrated, and perversion is sanctified. A man in blue gets less respect than a man in a dress. We're asking soldiers to fight for a nation our leaders no longer believe in. How meekly most of us submitted to Fauciism, the regime of face masks, lockdowns, and hand sanitizers, hand sanitizers shows the impending death of the American spirit. How do nations slip from greatness to obscurity? Fighting endless wars they can't or won't win, accumulating massive debt beyond the ability to repay, refusing to guard their borders, allowing the nation to be inundated by an alien horde, surrendering control of their cities to mob rule, allowing indoctrination of the young, moving from a Republican form of government to an oligarchy, losing national identity, indulging indolence, abandoning God, faith, and family, the bulwarks of any stable society. In America, every one of these symptoms is pronounced, indicating an advanced stage of the disease. Even if the cause seems hopeless, do we not have an obligation to those who sacrificed so much to give us what we had? This is a nation that took in my immigrant grandparents, whose uniform my father and most of our, my uncles wore in the Second War, World War. I don't want to imagine a world without America, even though it becomes increasingly likely. During Britain's darkest hour, when its professional army was trapped at Dunkirk and a German invasion seemed imminent, Churchill reminded his countrymen, quote, nations that go down fighting rise again and those that surrender tamely are finished. The same might be said of causes. If we let America slip through our fingers, if we lose without a fight, what will posterity say of us? Well, the prognosis is far from good. Only God knows if America's day in the sun is over. I want to add something very briefly to this. It's often said, and, and I skipped a piece in this where he talked about, you know, why are we letting down those who fought in World War II and the Korean War? and not, We're not letting them down. Those men, predominantly men, um, fought those wars for what was at stake at that time. And what was at stake at that time was their own life, their own way of life, their own society, their families, their children, maybe their grandchildren, probably their grandchildren. No one fights today to make sure this country is free 200 years from now. You do with what God has called you to do now. And for the now, and maybe for your family, and maybe one generation down. I'm sorry, maybe two generations. One generation down, maybe two generations down. Down to your grandchildren. You are faithful in what God has called you to do to preserve what is, not in remembrance of what used to be. So as much as I love this country and want it to be restored to its biblical roots, I'm not fighting for the past on this program. Mind you, I am fighting for the future. That future does not bode well. Listen to tomorrow's program on Sunday morning with Robin Walter, and this message will be completed 
with Scripture that you will need to write it all down. Let me just say that. God bless you all. Remember, sit tall in the saddle if you ride for the brand, the brand of Jesus Christ. And we will talk to you next week. We got a tail.